Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the 24 Faithful Podcast. I'm Bradley Adams, joined once again by Joel Wood. And Joel, we've come to the end of the original run. We've got the last six episodes of Season 8 to talk about today, and you're excited for this. You can just see the excitement on my face, Bradley. It's it's almost it's almost unbearable for me. I mean, this is this is a legitimately good stretch of episodes, I think. Um, so we've got nothing to be fearful of here. Yeah, it's for the for the most part, I'd say it's <laughs> it's a good stretch of episodes. There's a there's a couple there's a couple of duds in there, but yeah, I can work with that. Um, so we're gonna sort of break tradition a little bit this week because normally we kind of go through this in chronological order. I have a running order with some some notes, some some sort of general uh, macro topics that we talk about. And that's usually in chronological order from the start of the section of episodes we're on towards the end of the section of episodes we're on. But we're going to break that a little bit this week because we are talking about the final six episodes of season eight. That's 10 a.m. till 4 p.m. And what we're going to start with is the ending of the show itself. So this was back in 2010, um, the final ever episode of 24. Live Another Day was four years down in the pipeline. Uh, The creators... And Kiefer Sutherland had come to this creative decision in the about midway through the airing of this season that season eight was going to be the final season, and that's it. No more 24. So back in 2010, and I remember this fairly vividly, I'm sure you do as well. But at the at the end of 4 p.m., Jack goes on the run after all of the events of the previous several hours as he goes on his revenge crusade. And that's it. That's it for Jack Bauer. That's it for 24, as we knew it at the time. So on to the ending. As I said, you know, everyone listening to this will will hopefully know what it is, of course. But Jack has killed a load of people. He's tried to get revenge against the Russians. President Taylor has pulled out of the peace talks as a result of the Russian involvement and her role in covering that conspiracy up. And Jack is about to be executed by some mercenaries when President Taylor intervenes, saves his life. And essentially tells him that she's going to pay for the cry, her crimes, but he'll have to as well from both the Russian side and the United States government side. And between her and Chloe, Jack is given some time to try and escape and get away from the authorities because he doesn't deserve that kind of that kind of punishment after all he's done for the country over the last fourteen and a half years that it is within the show in the course of eight seasons. He deserves better than this. So that's the. That is what the ending is, of course. Um, Joel, your thoughts on the ending, first up. I thought the ending was... um, I had a little mitts bag about the ending. I mean, on one hand, on one hand, it was kind of fitting um, to end the show with him, I guess, on the run, uh, which is how I think, like, I don't know, two or three seasons ended. So in that respect, I guess it's okay. Um, at the same time, I felt like there was a lot that could have been resolved or that needed to be resolved uh, before the end of the of the season. I felt like, you know, the issue with him and uh, Yuri, I felt needed to be resolved. The issue with him and Logan, I felt like the way that they took Logan out was kind of unsatisfying. So there was just a lot of loose, a lot of loose ends. Like we never got that final phone call between him and Kim. So there was a lot of loose ends that I felt 
needed to be or could have been tied up. But for what it was, the ending was okay. Um, I didn't mind it. Well, the Kim stuff kind of gets handled by the video, doesn't it? Which we see Jack record in the penultimate episode, and then we see Taylor watch the video of in the finale. And it's fairly emotional both times, I think. Um, Logan, I mean, <laughs> it amused me watching it because it's something that I, you know, I knew, but I hadn't really quite sort of put my th- finger on thinking about before that even when they get rid of Logan at the end of this, at the end of the show, for good, no more 24, at the end of everything, they still can't bring themselves to kill him. Season six, they stabbed him in the shoulder and then left him in critical condition and left that as a cliffhanger for three years. Here, it's he shoots himself in the head. It's going to give him permanent brain damage. He's never going to be normal ever again. But 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 he's not he's not dead. They 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 just can't bring themselves to kill him. And they've killed what two? I mean, you know, they've killed two sitting presidents off screen in Keeler and in um, Wayne Palmer. And of course, they've killed David Palmer, who was a former president. So you've got to feel that there's no there's there's no restriction. You mentioned last week the the, the standing gambit from Fox about killing sitting presidents. Well, Charles Logan is the most evil president that we've had and he's not sitting president so there's no justification for not killing him as far as i'm concerned um i do agree though that there's kind of probably a a little bit of dissatisfaction with the way that things ended between him and jack and and that dynamic because that's such been such a powerful um such a powerful battle between them over the years that i kind of would like to see more but you said there about Jack being on the run again at the end of a season. And and this is partly why I'm a big fan of the ending. You know, I, I, I love the emotional side of it. I love the, the phone call between Jack and Chloe. And I like Taylor essentially rewarding, not rewarding Jack, but acknowledging everything that Jack's done. It's, a, it's the fitting thing that he deserves after being treated so harshly over the last several hours. But what I like about it is that it finds a decent way to end a show on a show where I imagine it's quite hard to end, but particularly when you've had at least three season finales in the form of three, four, and seven, and I might even tack one into that as well, that would have already worked perfectly as series finales. So we talked about it in season four, and I talked about it in season seven last month, that if you ended the show after these points, it works. Maybe a couple of bit minor tweaks, but generally the concept of the ending actually fits with, with, with something really satisfying for me anyway so when it comes to this you kind of you, you've already done this multiple times so you've got to find a new and inventive way to do it um and, and, and I'm, i am a fan I, I really am i mean at the time when they ended the, when they ended the season um in 2010 they obviously had no plans to bring it back four years later so that being said when they had jack go on this tirade where he, you know, kills 25 Russians and, you know, takes people hostage and and holds Logan up at gunpoint. I just don't understand why they couldn't just have him put a bullet in Logan's head. I don't understand. I mean, Logan Logan shot himself. So obviously shooting a, a, a former president wasn't the issue because they had him shoot himself. So why not just have Jack just put a bullet in him. You can you can say that, you know, he'll survive or whatever. But to have this 
feud between Jack and Logan that lasted for essentially four seasons. And then to have it end with no real resolution just didn't really sit right with me. Um, especially when this was really supposed to be the end of 24. To end 24 without that resolution kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. I suppose he realizes that the, the stuff that that Jack talked about in season five, oh, sorry, that Logan talked about in season five when Jack was interrogating him about him going down with John Wilkes, Bill Booth, and Har- Lee Harvey Oswald, if I can say their names correctly, which I clearly cannot, um, that, you know, that still applies. Logan's crimes weren't fully disclosed. So the, the American public doesn't know exactly everything he did. And then Daniels pardoned him. So, it, to, you know, to the to the American front-facing world, this would be a deranged ex-agent killing a f- fairly decent president, I guess, would be the concept. So I, I think there's there's probably that line that you don't want Jack to cross. You know, killing the Russian foreign minister who is involved in all these terrorist plots and, and all these other Russian people that he's killed, fine. But I think that that, is a, that is a massive line. Well, yeah, but, Look, you know, if you, if they're you, enemy if agents. You kill, if, you kill, if you kill, you know, Charles Logan... You know, yeah, people might look down on you, but if you put a bullet in Yuri Surov's head on American soil, you start a war. But he didn't do that either, so... I think him killing Yuri would have been a little bit worse than him just putting a bullet in Logan, especially since he was going on the run anyway. They were going to have him go on the run anyway, then you might as well just have him take out Logan. I mean, you could you could have had it... You could have done it a million ways to where it could have been tied back to Jack. I can't think of those ways off the top of my head, but I know there's ways you could have done it. <laughs> I think it's it, it is just painting Jack in a better light. I you know I, I do see what you're saying. Twenty-five Russians. Well, yeah, but no one cares about the Russians. And, and okay, fine, we all dislike Charles Logan, but there's a there, I think there's a stigma to it that no matter how dishonorable the president, how much we hate Charles Logan, there is. There is a need from 24 that Jack is portrayed in the best possible light. And, you know, we saw the the news report at the end of season one about Jack Bauer being the one to save David Palmer. That's sort of so good. And this here, and, and we'll see in Live Another Day that J- Heller pardons Jack. You know, it, it's a little bit image and it's a little bit that Jack is kind of the good guy. And we've talked about this before that he's not fully good. But you think that this is this is a line that even he shouldn't cross, that, that killing a former president of his own country, for the respect that he has of the office, that, that shouldn't happen. Have we forgotten that he had the rifle trained on Logan, ready to pull the trigger if Logan didn't get Yuri Superoff in that room? Yeah, and that's fine. But he, he's had a gun on Logan multiple times and hasn't killed him. So what, so. So what if Logan just decided not to, not to get Yuri in that room? You think you think Jack you think Jack would have said, eh, no, never mind. And then just Well, probably, but he knew Logan would go along with it. So I don't I don't buy that. I just I just I just feel like if he's going on the run anyway and he knows what Logan's done for this country, I, I he could he could he could he could, he could have put a bullet in him and, and tied the tied the bullet back to a Russian for all I care. I can't argue that it would have been immensely satisfying, but it is the route that they chose. The one question I do want to ask you is um, 
the counting clock at the end, counting down. Yes. Like, dislike? Well, it makes sense. I mean, the series is over. So, I mean, might as well, you know, when you count the clock to the 24 mark, it gives the impression that there's another season coming. When you count it down from three to one and then all zeros across the board, you know, that's it's like a, it's like an it's like an NBA game. You know, when the clock when the clock strikes all zeros, it's over. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. <laughs> you know, so I mean, it kind it kind of makes sense to me. Um, you don't you don't want to give them any false any false impressions that there might be a season nine, which there was. Well, uh, they didn't know that at the time, Bradley. <laughs> so, so counting it down from three to zero, eh, kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, it makes sense to me as well. It just seems it's a bit weird. I feel like in the circumstances, like essentially what you're saying to me is that in the final frame before after Chloe says shut it down, it's 15, 59, 56, and then it's suddenly three seconds. Like that, that the, <laughs> given the whole events occur in real time that happens at the start of the final two episodes and just the general uh, clockiness of the show. I just find it a little bit strange, but yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not massively against it. Now you're being, now you're just being kind of petty. Well, there, Bradley. You know me well, I'm very petty about some of these things. No, it's, it's, you're, pick, you're picking out very, very small, minute <laughs> details. Okay, let's 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 not let's not play uh, Friday Friday afternoon quarterback here. Okay, all right. Okay, well let's hop back then because before all of this this fun stuff at the end happens, obviously there is a lot of story from where we left off last week. So to sort of remind everyone, um, Jack had escaped from CTU custody. He was being locked down because the president didn't want him to interrogate Dana Walsh to find the evidence that she has on the Russians. So Jack stole the helicopter, escaped and goes to his ex-Special uh, Forces buddy, Jim Ricker, to get some equipment, some guns, some communications equipment, and then he goes and gets Cole, who has set a trap on Chloe's orders for Jack to lock him down again, rather than letting him get to Dana Walsh, who's been extradited to a black site by some mercenaries that Charles Logan has ordered, because, of course, Charles Logan did this. Um and Jack essentially convinces Cole into helping him expose the conspiracy that Taylor's involved in. They go and save Dana from the mercenaries. It's a really great sequence. And then go to the bank where, the, where Dana has kept the evidence. She detonates an explosive, which knocks out Cole. She manages to escape, but Jack catches up to her and kills her. So that's the story here. Um, I quite like this. I, I, I really like particularly the way that Jack handles enlisting Cole. I think there's been a nice little rapport that's built between them in very little time. They've not spent too much time together, even it, with, you know, it's been 20 odd hours um, within the show, but within that, they've not spent a whole lot of time in scenes together, working together. So I, I well, that's probably because they hated each other. Well, yeah, Freddie Prince Jr. and Kiefer Sutherland's um, <laughs> or, or rather Freddie Prince Jr.'s criticisms of Kiefer Sutherland are well documented. But in terms of the characters, they they have been apart quite a bit. They've been, you know, talking on the phone sometimes on the comm device. But I think it's it's really nice. I, I like that Jack clearly appreciates his skills. There is an element that Jack is using him, as we see. 
but ultimately I think Jack does respect Cole and it kind of reminds me a little bit of the relationship that he had with Chase and to a slightly lesser extent Curtis that this is someone who clearly knows what they're doing Jack sort of it's it's like to kind of put the NBA thing on it it's game recognizing game Jack knows that he's really good but he knows that Cole's quite good and so he can use that to his advantage here so I think that's I think that's really nice actually I mean I'm gonna be quite honest Freddie Prince Jr. was not my favorite 24 actor. Uh, I, I blame the Dana storyline for that. Well, I mean, I didn't particularly like him in the role. He didn't come across to me as a... Because, uh, you know, I'm used to seeing him in different roles. And I just didn't think he fit the role of CTU agent Cole Ortiz very well. But that being said, he did have some good moments. Um, I thought he overacted on some scenes. Uh, got got a little too excited when he shouldn't have. But other than that, I thought it was um, the dynamic was different because with with Curtis and uh, and Chase, Jack developed a not just a respect, but more of a a friendship. You know, he felt responsible for them in a way. I mean, we saw we saw that, you know, in the way he reacted when he had to kill Curtis. Uh, in season six or when he had to cut Chase's arm off in season three. In that respect, I think the relationship is probably a little bit different, but I did do see the healthy respect that he has for Cole that it really, it really started early in the season when Jack was stuck in the armory trying to get the guns to go out and do this on his own and then Hastings caught him. And he basically said, you know, Cole tried to secure that landing with more men and you didn't let him. So from that from that point, you kind of saw that, you know, Jack kind of knew that Cole knew what he was doing. So in that in that respect, from from then on, the the, the relationship between the two just grew steadily. And I thought it was. Like I said, not my favorite actor on the show. But the relationship between him and between him and Jack, despite the fact that the actors couldn't stand one another, was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Allegedly, we should say allegedly. Well, not um, if you hear Freddie tell it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I quite like as well. Like you put Cole in this environment with Jack and the, the takedown environment of rescuing Data, which is just it, it's so good. Twenty Four become so adept at these sort of action rescue type gunfight sequences. It just it, it flows so nicely, um, so that's that's a positive. Like I said, when I when I first started watching season eight, before I knew what the ending was, obviously, Cole just came across to me as one of those casualties. He's one of the ones that's gonna, you know, kind of like uh, Ronnie LaBelle in uh, what was it, season three, season four in season four. four. He's the red shirt. Yeah, he's the. He's the the leader of, of, of ops, but you in like three, four episodes he's dead. So I kind of I kind of thought that that was gonna be Cole's fate. I could I could conceivably see him being the one that died when the helicopter got blown up in like episode two, episode one. I mean, they almost they, they put him on the verge of death twice when he's saving Hassan. You know, driving the car right by the bomb that's meant to kill Hassan, and then Davros has him and is about to kill him before Jack rescues him. So they've not been short of opportunities to kill Cole. Yeah, 
Tony, Tony Almeida had like three near-death experiences in three seasons. Cole had about three in the span of about six hours. So, <laughs> so it's it's once he once he made it through the the not getting killed by by Davros, I kind of figured like, okay, well, he's probably going to make it to the end of the season because you know if they haven't killed him by now, they're probably not going to kill him. He kind of he kind of grew on me, especially after the after he um, killed Kevin Wade, or not killed Kevin Wade, but killed Kevin Wade's partner. After after the whole Kevin Wade storyline was over, he kind of grew on me a little bit because that whole storyline just left a bad taste in my mouth, just made me want to vomit. But after that, and especially you know the whole situation with Dana. He kind of started to grow on me, so it's 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 really good. He has some good scenes. I just, you know, thought he was going to be dead by like episode five. Yeah, I feel sorry for him when Dana's killed because although, although she is the most horrible liar and Russian plant ever, um, obviously they they did have a relationship. So that's fairly sad from his perspective. But for Dana in this this situation, um. It's a little bit, it becomes the boy who cried wolf, doesn't it? Because she insists that Jack is going to kill her for being even close to Renee's death. Not directly involved at all. She was in custody, but she's involved in this plot. And she's right. She's absolutely right about everything that she says that Jack will do. Although it's kind of fueled by the fact that she tries to escape. At that point, it's certainly he'll kill her. But... So many, so many lies have been revealed that she's told over the course of this season. That ultimately, why would Cole believe her? Um, you know, this is just another another gambit, and obviously she explodes the device on him. So <laughs> you can't trust Dana at all. But it's um, it's very Nina the whole thing, um, particularly particularly uh, her death, uh, which is almost carbon copy of Nina's death in season three. Um, I like it. I don't think it's of all the Dana stuff that we've had in this season. This is probably among the strongest. It's not, it's not amazing, but I think it works generally. Well, it's not completely like Nina because Nina was a great liar. You know, uh, the death scene. I mean, I'm, I'm specifically talking about a death scene when I compare it to Nina. Okay, the death scene, I guess, I guess that's like, I mean, we've seen since before she was even revealed as the mole in CTU, we've already been conditioned to how bad of a liar she is. I mean, the whole, the whole Kevin Wade situation revealed how bad of a liar she was. It's, it's like I said, we, we talk about, you know, we we had this debate with Nina about, you know, were there any signs? Were there any hints that she was a mole? Dana, before you even knew she was a mole, you knew that she wasn't a good person. You knew that she had another life. Helping Kevin Wade and his buddy rob an evidence lockup. Um, revealing that she had a another identity. So she had to basically get a new identity and a whole new life to be able to work at CTU. And then and then you gotta kinda wonder that, you know, at the time we thought that she tried to put that life behind her and get a job at CTU and start fresh and 
everything like that. But then you got to kind of wonder, did she get that new identity and that new life so she would be able to pass the CTU background check so she could be in, installed as the mole? Because if we're if we're to believe that her other life is as bad as Kevin Wade suggested it was, she probably wouldn't pass the initial CTU background check. In a way, you can probably connect the two scenarios there. At the same time, it also it's another it's another situation that made me not like Cole that much because she's obviously lying to him and he's buying it. So it's. <laughs> It's like, I'm sitting here, you know, I I can tell she's lying. And the fact that Cole is buying into it just made it even worse and made me not like the character that much. But once she was actually revealed to be a mole in CTU, it kind of all started to make sense. Like, okay, so this is why they pretty much been because she just has one of those faces, you know. She has one of those those villain type faces to me. When they're talking about a mole in CTU, my first thought was Dana because she's been all day, she's been revealed to have a secret past that she doesn't want out. She's already been caught lying multiple times, revealed to not be a very good person. So I would have been shocked if it would have been anybody else but Dana. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So I mentioned there that Jack kills her because, well, revenge for Renee, essentially, and, and Dana knows about it. But his real revenge comes an hour later with Pavel Tokarev. Um, so Jack, having got the evidence off Dana, contacts Meredith Reed to essentially get her to publish the story about the Russian involvement using the evidence. Um Pavel and his team through Jason Pillar at CTU and, and Logan and Novakovic decide to use this as an opportunity to trap Jack, but he's obviously a step ahead. Jim Ricker manages to secure Pavel. Jack kills all of Pavel's people and uh, goes to interrogate him. And in the course of this, of course, realizes that Pavel was the one who killed Renee. Um, leads to one of the most, in fact, probably the most brutal torture scene that 24 ever did um, with various bits of stabbing and slicing and blow torching and eventually a gutting from Jack to get the SIM card out of his stomach, which of course reveals that Logan's involved. Um, I, <laughs> in spite of how brutal it is, and, and this is sort of, I mean, it's, we talked in season six about there being a little bit gratuitous violence in, in the torture and, and 24 really savoring it. This is next level. But it worked, I think. Let's just ask the question. I mean, how how many times is Jack gonna have to cut somebody open to get a SIM card out, uh, or to get or or to get a piece of evidence out? I mean, this is like what the third time they just had to cut somebody open to get a to get either a SIM card or a flash drive. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I suppose with Jonathan Wallace and Ek Dubaki, who are the the two previous that you're alluding to, there, it was kind of buried in their body rather than I've actually got to cut open his stomach. So this was kind of this was next level. I see your point. But but yeah, but they still had to they still had to cut them open to to get the the flash drive and the SIM card. It's not like Jack could just reach down their throat and just pull it out. Well, so, he could, if, he, if he put a towel down there, he could have done it. 
Yeah, and then pulled all of their intestines out with it. Yeah, I got it. Well, so in that respect, it felt kind of repetitive to me. But then once he got down to it and you started to see all the all the blood and all the violence and you could tell that this was a Fox show because this kind of stuff wouldn't have made it on NBC or ABC or CBS. So you kind of, this kind of lets you know that this is a Fox property. It was just, it was good. Don't get me wrong. It was just, I wasn't, if I'm watching it for the first time, it's something that I wouldn't really expect mm. because it was very, very graphic. So, I mean, it, it's like you said, this, this was next level. It wasn't really, I guess it was needed, but it kind of shows you where Jack is at mentally. Mentally, he's, he's about to go off the, off the, the deep end. He's, a, he's about to fall off the edge. And this is, this is showing exactly where his mental state is at at this point in time, which is not very good. Mm. It's, it's as over the top as anything 24 ever did. You know, we, we, some of the, a lot, a lot of the torture scenes previously have been um, pharmaceutical. There has obviously been things like uh, the one on Ryan Burnett last season. And I think he's fairly brutal to Syed Ali. There, there, there are obviously examples where Jack's been fairly brutally. I mean, he cuts open um, uh, what's his name in season three? I can't remember. Oh no, how have I forgotten a name? I love this character as well. Um, uh, Michael Amador. Michael Amador, that's it. Yeah. Um, he cuts open his hand. Like he, He's done stuff before and 24 shown plenty of stuff before, but this is like you said, this is, this is surprising. I, I think this is surprising even for Fox that this was, that this level was shown. Um, but I do think it's very strong. I do think that there is a I think among the audience, and certainly me and, and I assume you, that there's a satisfaction in this that Renee Renee has only been in for what, thirty-eight episodes, I think. And despite that, we kind of grown to really like her. And obviously the connection she had with Jack and, and all of that factors into this too. But it, it it did feel like one of those deaths that deserved something like this where I think back to the end of season six to, to Jack's line about Philip getting off easy and you think this is one of the deaths in the show where you don't want the guy to get off easy and, and Pavel gets exactly what he deserves I think and the fact that he's the one that basically Jack was going after the most um, because he's he's the guy so you kind of you kind of had to understand where he was going to go because it's, it's like I mentioned, uh, I think it was last week. I mean, look at all the people he's lost as because, because of this job in the 14 years since the start of season one. I mean, look who, look who all he's lost, all the women in his life that he's lost, all the, all the coworkers that he's lost. It got Jack to a breaking point where you knew that once he got him alone, that it was going to be bad. It was going to end up bad for him. I don't think anybody could have predicted how bad it would have gotten. But Jack, at, at this point, Jack is not concerned. You know, in some in some seasons, he he'll get his revenge, but he'll kind of you can tell that he's kind of holding back because he doesn't want to 
put the country at risk or he doesn't want to uh, put his team at any more of a risk or himself in certain situations. But I think you could tell once he got once he got him alone that that was no longer a concern for him, that he was going to get revenge on everybody that was involved with it, regardless of what it did to him, the country, or anybody else. Um, and I thought that that was a – because you had to show Jack getting to that level. You can't just have – you couldn't just have him just – go and get revenge the and do it the right way or the politically correct way, you know, like Jack does more often than not. You had to show him going off the deep end and basically being a a, a one-man vigilante throughout the rest of the season. Based on what happened and based on where he's at mentally, you had to have him go there. Yeah, the, the previous revenge, I think, of Victor Drazen for supposedly killing Kim – uh, Nina, obviously, for killing Terry, and Henderson for killing uh, David Palmer, Michelle Dester, and Tony Almeida. That they're they're all gunshots. They're all at the at a point where he could quite easily not shoot them, but does obviously shoot them. And you're right about him going off the deep end to set up everything that happens in the final four episodes and his 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 quest for this revenge against Suvorov as it becomes um you're right you do need something like this and and it's been coming you can see the whole you can see the fury building in his eyes from when renee dies up until this point um i I guess it's a little bit cathartic for him in a way but yeah you have to do something different for this to to set up the way they did it couldn't just be put two shots at him You, you couldn't do that again it would feel unsatisfying to just shoot him like Logan, I would have just settled for a gunshot. That's you know, I would have been okay with that. Um, but this guy, you know, considering that he's the guy that is responsible for Renee's death, it would feel kind of empty if all Jack did was just shoot him and call it a day. Especially the way he had been acting up until this point, uh, since Renee's death. Um, where he'd been acting very erratic and vengeful. You kind of knew that something was that something was going on, that something was wrong um, with his mental state. So it would I don't think it would have been as satisfying of a of a conclusion if all he did was just shoot him in the head and then move on to his next target. Mm. Who of course was Charles Logan as a result of the information he found on the SIM card. And it brings us to one of the great scenes of 24, where he traps Logan's yes. motorcade <laughs> in a tunnel and um, takes down the Secret Service agents and then kidnaps Logan and takes him into the... I don't know really where it was, but some sort of side um, area, I'm going to call it, from this this tunnel that they were in, and interrogates him and learns, of course, that Mikhail Novakovic, the Russian foreign minister, is the one who gave the orders. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in a minute, Novakovic. But um, yeah, like I said, this is this is one of the best scenes I think in Twenty Four history. It's certainly one of the best action scenes. It's even by Twenty Four standards, it's completely mad. Like to see Jack trap Logan in a tunnel by shooting the tires of a load of cars, so he can't get anywhere. And then to sort of come after him, almost Terminator style, in the way that he does, it's it's so 
it's so out there, but it's executed so, so well. Um, that shot of him sort of looking into the window with the uh, with the, the mask, the sort of Deathstroke star mask, is just completely iconic. And I, I just really love it. I really love as well that we saw in season five how resolute Logan was when Jack interrogated him because he knew that he could hold out in this scenario. Whereas at this point, Jack's gone so far off the rails that Logan's like, no, no, here's what you need to know instantly. Bending over, crying, you know, it's so satisfying to see Jack put Logan into this situation of utter terror. Logan's Logan's reaction to the whole thing when he was in the when he was in the car. Kill him. Was was this that's Jack Bauer. Did you hear what I just said? And he's coming for me. So it was good. just so it, it was it was so it was so great because it was a complete contrast from season five. Because you know, in season five he still had the presidency hanging over his head. So he knew that he was protected because he knew that Jack Bauer was not going to kill a sitting president. By season eight, he didn't really have that protection. The only protection he had were the people in that car with him. You know, he didn't really have the presidency to hold over his head. He didn't have the, the weight of the United States government at his disposal. So in that respect, I think that's when reality kind of set in for him that, okay, there's no reason that Jack will not kill me right now. Especially after what he just done to Pavel. So there's, there's no way he will not kill me. So his tough guy demeanor that he displayed in season five was quickly gone by season eight because he knew that he didn't have anything protecting him anymore. I mean, the look at the look in his eyes, the, the way his, his eyes got real big and, you know, the way he was trying to basically tell them to kill him. He's coming for me. You know, it was just, Probably those two lines are probably two of my favorite of the entire series, just because of the way, the way he did it, and the, you know, I, Charles Logan was by far the greatest villain in Twenty Four, my opinion. Not because of how violent he was, or because of, you know, how resourceful he was, but how. Well, I guess you could say how resourceful he was, but how conniving he was and how calm he was and how he always seemed to be a step ahead of Jack. You don't find many, if any, villains in 24 that are constantly a step ahead of Jack. And Logan did that for essentially four seasons. Two. Eh, four. Because you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna count season seven, even though he wasn't used. He was also a good guy in season six. Come on, uh, according to him. But we never, but we, but he never really accomplished his mission in season six either. So we never, we never saw True. that maybe he had an ulterior motive. Because before he could accomplish it, you know, Martha put a knife in his shoulder. So <clears throat> I'm not counting season six. He had always remained a step ahead of Jack. So to finally have Jack catch up to him 
and kind of have him at Jack's mercy was, I thought, a satisfying way to kind of sort of pay off the story. I mean, I would have liked if he would have put a bullet in him at the end of it, but whatever. Um, but I thought it was kind of a satisfying way to kind of show Jack finally getting his hands on Logan, where he didn't have any restrictions or anything holding him back. And it is one of those things, isn't it, that it's been building up for so long that this is something we want to see. So the fact that it is completely insane, even by 24 standards, it goes so far beyond anything you'd expect 24 to do from a logical standpoint, this this um, this action scene. But it's just, you you love to see it. Yeah, it's, it's and just the, the fact that he, Jack was decked out in this full, full-on Terminator slash Deathstroke attire. It just, it, he looked completely badass doing it. And I just, I thought that that added to it because it wasn't just a situation of Jack just manipulating his way into the car to get a hold of Logan. He just, he basically willed himself to the car and basically yanked Logan out and took him where he needed to take him. It was completely, it was a completely badass way of having Jack get a hold of Logan, as opposed to just, you know, having to take out take out his Secret Service team one by one and kind of sneaking his way into Logan's car and stuff like that. So I thought this was a better way. It's probably one of my favorite action scenes. It's definitely my favorite action scene of the season, but it's probably it's probably in the top five or ten for me of the entire series. As far as the execution, um, the reaction, the acting, the whole nine yards. Mm. Now, just briefly before we, I do want to move on um, before we end to the the stuff with the President Taylor. But before we do, um, part of this as well, we end up having a slightly different action scene before the end of the episode in Jack's takedown of Novakovic and his his brutal murder of him and his staff, um, which takes place off screen. And to my recollection, I think this is the first time we've seen anything Jack's involved with from a sort of action set point of view take place off screen. I think everything else we've actually seen. I'm a, I love this. I really love this. I think we've seen what 189 episodes previous of Jack going in and killing the bad guys and doing whatever. And it's great. You know, it, it rarely ever misses, but this is a way to keep it fresh. This is something they've never done before. And there's obviously a lot happening elsewhere. This is always a, an issue, isn't it, with 24, that there's being in real time, stuff's always happening in one of the other storylines. So you need to devote some time to that. And so to kind of leave everything to the imagination, it's so clever. I, I, I find it so clever that this is how they went about it, that we don't need to see Jack eviscerate Novakovic and kill eight of his staff or however many it was. Because we've just seen what he does done to Pavel. We've seen what he's done to countless people over the years we know how jack operates we know what he'll do we our mind can fill in the blanks to just to go from point a of he's going up we know what he's going to do to novakovic to then the next thing we see look what he's done to novakovic yeah it kind of it kind of surprised me a little bit but at the same time you know i don't know if they intended it to be that way or i think they did if maybe they or maybe they shot the scene and then it just got cut for time so they just cut to that part i don't know if that's how they intended to shoot it 
I'd be very surprised because, like I said, there's so much else that happens in the sort of the time in between with other storylines that it it just fits in perfectly. It may have been done that way on purpose. Um, regardless, it was it was a it was a great scene because you didn't need to see what happened. All you had to do is just see the carnage, and it kind of it kind of shows that. You know, Jack was very quick. He just came in, did what he had to do, and then left. You know, he didn't, he wasn't dramatic. He didn't need anything from them. He knew what they would, what they did. So he went in and took care of business and then left to go on to his next target. It's part of that revenge spree that, that we were talking about. Um, there's no rhyme or reason to it. He's just killing everybody that was responsible for what happened. Now, that's not going to extend to the president, but I imagine that there were some things that Jack wanted to uh, say and possibly do to President Taylor after what she's done to him. Um, But she kind of does everything to herself because Ethan ends up resigning because Charles Logan's there. He has that quote. It's like, you've got Charles Logan now. You don't need two. There's not room for two of us. And she continues down the path of working with Logan. She's wrapped around his finger and has his role in the peace process made public and lets Logan make all the decisions about what to do with Jack and what to do with Dana and what to do with burying this evidence, although she does sort of retain the final decision, I guess. And then Dahlia Hassan's contacted by Meredith Reed about the Russian involvement and President Taylor not only doesn't deny it, but also uses the information to threaten Dahlia into signing the peace treaty or else she will retaliate against the IRK for the data tax. And of course, when it comes to the signing of the treaty later on, Dahlia and Suvorov both sign it. And in one of the more dramatic twists of the season, President Taylor does not. And of course, that means the end of the peace process and the uh, criminal charges that we mentioned earlier that she'll face. So just firstly on Ethan, I mean, if him him resigning because of the path that she was on didn't indicate to her that she needed to get off that path, then nothing was ever going to. I mean, he's one of the most honourable people we've ever seen in the show so if ethan's going no no this is too much for me i need to get out of this then surely you've got to know that there's a problem well i mean let's think about that for a second whose idea was it to bring charles logan into the fold well this is the thing isn't it because he he recommended that she talk to him and then had i think i mentioned this last week and then had the sort of the high high horse type thing of oh you know, you're, you shouldn't be in bed with Logan. You've you've compromised her hopelessly, was the line that he said in that debate. And you think, well, really, Ethan, you should, you know, it, he, he wouldn't be here if you hadn't said anything. Ethan knew of Logan's past crimes. Even if they weren't made public, you know, Taylor and Ethan both knew of his past crimes. So Ethan knew the kind of person he was suggesting she calling for help. And to be fair, he, he did only, it was Logan calling Ethan, and Ethan did only say, hear him out. Didn't say, do all this stuff with him. So there is, there is some mitigation for him, but he, he is. But, he, but Ethan, Ethan knew the kind of person that Logan was. Yeah. So he knew that whatever Logan was proposing was going to come with strengths. I mean, anybody could have figured that out. Ethan's not a dummy. 
I don't see how recommending hearing out Charles Logan, how anything positive could have come from that. Um, I understand that Logan was calling Ethan, but Ethan could have not returned his calls or ignored his calls or ignored his messages or what have you. But to basically recommend bringing him in and then, you know, a couple of hours later, suddenly, you know, oh, we've gone too far. You know, we've compromised too much. You know, it's time for me to resign. It's like, really? We've got, we've, we've gone too far. Like, where did you think Logan was going to go? I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest here. You said it yourself that you didn't agree with, uh, with, pres- with then President Daniel's decision to pardon him. So, <laughs> but you still recommend bringing him in and listening to what he has to say. So it just, that part didn't really line up to me because it made Ethan look less than smart, less than intelligent, which is not something that we've come to know about Ethan for the last two seasons because he's always seemed very intelligent and very, you know, step ahead. But it kind of coincides with the fact that that's not the President Taylor that we've been accustomed to over the last two seasons. So it's just the last six, the last six episodes were good, but it just we had far too many dramatic character shifts from what we had been used to. It's like it's like they completely did a reset for those last six episodes. And they just completely changed Ethan's character, Jack's character, President Taylor's character. It just it seemed like too big of a of a shift for those last six episodes. And if it if it was going to lead into a season nine, then I could have understand understood it. But having those dramatic character shifts for like the last six episodes of the series at the time, it just seemed a bit too uh, too dramatic for me. I personally wouldn't throw Ethan into this. I think, you know, he does make the mistake of recommending Logan. That is a mistake. But I think, you know, he's adamantly against from from the start, from the minute he finds out how Logan's done all this and and, and the the rabbit hole that they're going to end up going down as the president obviously does. He's he's very much against this. Ethan Ethan is Ethan is against using Olivia Taylor because she lied a few times during the campaign, but he wants to use Logan, who, you know, had his past crimes of treason and and murder and everything like that, basically put off the books. So I'm, I'm not really buying that at all. To be fair, again, he didn't advocate using him, just hearing him out. But anyway, um, the real the real issue is President Taylor. And I know how exactly how you're going to react when I say this, but I feel like this is a worse character assassination than Tony was, in my opinion. Everything <laughs> I knew you'd react like that. Everything we've known <laughs> about her, everything has been that she is the most moral, most um, sort of look up to as an, a, a, to admire her kind of person and president that you could ever imagine. This is a woman who decided that her own daughter should go to prison rather than let her off because she's the president. This is the woman who has worked with Omar Hassan for all these months because she's committed to this peace to make the world a better place and all this stuff. She's so principled. You know, she wouldn't she wouldn't budge on the Sangala stuff. 
She wouldn't budge on her troops being in Sangala when the entire nation was at stake. And so you think, okay, this is a woman who will, this is, she's so resolute. She's so morally just, fine. And then we come to this point where she threatens Dalia Hassan, even though, like, that's insane, and goes along with Charles Logan and has tried to have Jack killed and, and all these things that happen. It's, it's a complete 180 from everything we knew about her. And although Cherry Jones is really, really good, and I mean, the signing withdrawal and the subsequent scene with Tim is one of my favourite scenes ever. It's so, so good. Cherry Jones is magnificent. I absolutely adore the music in that. I think it's so well written. And just, it's the culmination of of that brief um, realisation that she'd had earlier. And a, a shift back to what we'd expect that this is the tailor we know all of a sudden again that she realizes the error of her ways and i think it's just a really really beautiful closure to that storyline but before that i mean the six hours where logan's involved she's just unrecognizable you're still stuck on my tony comment aren't you yes i am i just <sighs> it's 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 a character assassination i'll give you that is it worse than Tony's? No, not even, not even going to go there, because that we'll we'll be talking about this episode for another hour. Yeah, let, let's stick so to the, let's stick to just the Taylor stuff. Go on. The six hours leading up to it were not my favorite from a President Taylor point of view, because it's it's like I said, it's a complete three sixty from the President Taylor that we have been used to for the last two seasons, season and a half. Because now you've basically turned her into a villain. You've turned it into Taylor versus Jack, as opposed to Taylor trying to do the right thing. You know, it could have been, you could have had a Taylor versus Logan situation. Um, with Logan trying to regain power and trying to blackmail Taylor. And you could have went down that rabbit hole for the last six hours. But I did enjoy the the last scene when she pulled out of the peace signing. You know, she was kind of shaking as she was talking to Tim. Um, and Tim was trying to figure out what was going on. Like, uh, Madam President talked to me. And and she was like, I, just, I made a big mistake. And that scene was so good. I, lo- I love that scene. I thought it was probably in the two seasons that she was president, probably my favorite scene with her in it. So from, from that, you know, she's probably my favorite president outside of David Palmer because she's also the only president outside of Palmer that actually lasted more than a season. That's beside the point. <laughs> even a whole season. <laughs> no one else lasted even a whole season. <laughs> That's beside the point. And I, I think I read, I read online a few days ago before we did this podcast that she actually appeared in more episodes as president than David Palmer. Yes, because because there, because there was three episodes that Palmer was, I guess, removed from office. Yep. So I did not know that until I read it a couple of days ago. <laughs> yeah, it's something you don't, you don't think about, do you? Because like Palmer's president for two seasons, Taylor's president for two seasons, and Redemption. As well, I say Redemption. She's not really is she because it happens at the end. But yeah, you forget that Palmer wasn't really president for three hours. Yeah, I, I keep forgetting that, but it it's it's so good because it's. I mean, it's before it's before the time, really. I mean, David Palmer was the the first black president 
before we had our first black president. And then it kind of pushed those boundaries again by having the first female president. So it's, it's those two presidents being the two best presidents in 24 is kind of fitting because those, those were two instances where they stepped outside the box of what would be considered normal in America. Because at the time, you know, when they, when David Palmer was president, which was what, 2002, I think it started? 2002 to 2004, yeah. Yeah, that was six years before we had our first black president. It wasn't even conceivable at the time. So I, I really enjoyed, enjoyed that aspect of it. And her acting is, I've always enjoyed her as an actor. So the way that she handled herself, I thought was the best of any president outside of David. Yeah, just a shame about her transformation to Charles Logan, really. Don't get me started. <laughs> I won't, don't worry. Uh, that concludes it. That's it. That's the end of 24 ever. For four years. Four years, yeah. And of course... We're not done from the, with this podcast yet. We're far from done with this podcast. Um, that's just the end of the episode reviews for season eight. Next week, we'll be back to talk about season eight as a whole. I'm sure there are plenty of things we need to discuss. Um, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, talk about anything that we've already talked about or give us some feedback and, and tell us your thoughts on anything overall from season eight that we can talk about next week, uh, there are ways for you to do that. Uh, you can go to Twitter and at the 24 podcast. You can go to the website, which is 24faithful.com, or you can leave a voicemail, which is 405-771-0567. Leave a voicemail there, and we can play it out on the show. Like I said, we'll be back next week to talk about Season 8 overall. See you next week. Mm-hmm.